Well, tonight we pick up really an occasional series uh, looking through the Psalms and our progress has uh, reached actually to Psalm 68. It's a while ago since we looked at Psalm 67, but uh, we've reached Psalm 68. And this evening, uh, I'm going to be trying to take the first 20 verses, which in a way is very arbitrary, because really the whole psalm is of a single theme in that way, or themes that uh, continue and don't just end at verse 20 or start at verse 21. But uh, it's quite a lengthy psalm, so perhaps just to help guide us and focus us in our thinking, Though in effect, tonight's title could well have been next week's sermon title, and next week's sermon title could just as well have been tonight's sermon title, because the themes which are there in the first half of the psalm, are they surprised really, are also there in the second half of the psalm as well. What is the title tonight? Well, it's this, Protected and Preserved. Protected and Preserved. And really what uh, we'll be looking at Uh, It's nothing startling or earth-shattering in that way, but simply looking within the passages that we have here, thoughts that uh, they encompass, and finding a very simple fact that is there held out to us for our attention, born in the history of the, the Israelites and their wilderness wanderings, that we are protected and preserved. As God's people, we are protected and preserved. And that is miraculous, actually. It is miraculous that we are here and that these things are so, that else, and as you perhaps gained some insight there, that there are strong enemies everywhere and we might well have been swept away, gone, vanished, and our place remembering us no more. Yes, here we are. We still stand. Not only we still stand, but all around us, there are people still standing, churches still standing still representing Christ, still preaching. People going out into the open air, still preaching Christ. And in that we do rejoice and say, how do you see? Psalm 68 and the first 20 verses and indeed the rest of the psalm proves the point that God does protect and does preserve his people. Because within it too, you see uh, his opposition to his enemies. It begins with that theme, doesn't it? Very much there that So much for God's enemies, well, let them be scattered. So much for those who hate him, let them flee before him. So much uh, for all those who might think themselves something, well, let them be like smoke or as wax melting before the fire. Not much to be said for that. It's uh, it's gone, dissolved, gone. And so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Of course, as ever in the Psalms, a great theme, the greatness of God. He is a great God. He is there, as we see with Sinai, it was moved. God speaks and there's rain dropping from his presence. And this is indicative of his location, the glory of heaven. And Sinai, standing for that, and indeed Zion, representing his dwelling place, the place of his victories, commanding victories from Zion. So we see contrast throughout. The enemies look very strong. And yet we're preserved and protected. There are those who, again, look very strong, but there is God, described in the psalm as the strength of Israel. He is able to take captivity captive. He's even able to subject 
the rebellious to his good pleasure and draw from them the gifts that uh, he would draw from them. But the context for us, for his people, is one of deserts and wilderness. There we see it in verse 7, when you marched through the wilderness. And it takes us to that period, the life of God's people, when they were in the desert. And they were a long time in a state of weariness. And that pilgrimage was very, very tiring. So the references are there to Sinai, as in verse 8, and the references to the help that he gave in verse 9, that his inheritance, that's his people. When they were weary, well, he confirmed them. He, he built them up. He, he came to their aid with plentiful rain provided from his goodness for the poor, as we see in verse 10. We notice that those enemies, that there is a Bashan spoken of in that way. And so there, of course, one of the, the kingdoms that stood against God's people when they were beginning to come out of their wilderness wanderings and beginning to be made ready to go into the promised land. So the references are about those years of wandering and pilgrimage, that time in the desert, coming out of uh, out of Egypt. And Egypt also is, is mentioned later on in the psalm. Victories that God won over his enemies, such as Og of Bashan, and the way in which he confirmed his inheritance. He showed he was with them. He built them up when they were in time of need. So we are protected and preserved. One of my first headings is this, who are we? Who, who are we that we should expect such help from one so high and holy? Well, who are we? Well, we are very needy people. That's what we are. We are a very needy people. There is, as in verse 9 again, just draw our attention to it again, that inheritance, his people, his heritage that he had won, called his own, his portion, when it was weary, that was us, when it was weary, when we were dwelling in a state of weariness, when we were in the desert, in the wilderness, as in verse 7, that God led his people by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They languish, people languished. Oh, those were hard times. And they must have seemed and seemed to themselves very small, very small, weary, struggling, impoverished, and in a very big world with surrounding nations that were very, very powerful. Seven nations in Canaan, which had to be displaced, very powerful, had all kinds of weaponry, strength. There was Og of Bashan, was a giant, all kinds of weaponry that he had, chariots, didn't he, and all such things. Yet all of it came to nothing. And all of it eventually, like Sihon there, the king as well, who was defeated just before Og, were there to be rendered defenseless themselves. But as we are, the people of God, and as they were in the desert, surrounded by powerful nations and feeling our need. Why, it's all there in verses five and six. He is a father of the fatherless, defender of widows, orphans and widows. Well, we're thankful that they're better looked after these days, uh, for the most part, at least in our, in our own nation. 
But then it was a pretty precarious existence for them. And God promises to care for them, needy people, widows and their sorrows, the fatherless, children, seemingly without any helper, no defender, no guardian. And the Lord promises that he will be that to them. There are the solitary, verse 6, people, that connection without any home to call their own, without seemingly having friends and friendship. And God says that he can set the solitary in families, those who feel their loneliness and their need. Needy people, he comes to their aid. And what about those who are bound, prisoners? Well, for them, he brings them into prosperity. He will bring them out to a state of imprisonment, whatever it is that is binding them and holding them. Well, that's a needy place to be in, isn't it? Held up, bound up in that way. And he makes a promise to them that he will bring them out, bring them out of their captivity, bring them out of their enslavements and ensnarements. And he promises them them, prosperity, much prosperity to be had in a prison, in the state of being confined and restricted where liberty is not there, not available. And he says, I'll bring them out of that. As for the rebellious, well, they will stay in a dry land. My people, they're very needy, but I will look after them. And they're kind of a lowly state there. He looks after them. They're the women who are looked after in verses 11 and 12. The word that he gave and the people that proclaimed that, his kingship, his lordship, his victories, that he should arise. His enemies were scattered and they surely were. Kings of armies flee. They flee. And there are the women folk looked after. They're not out there fighting. They're at home, but they're dividing the spoil. Although their status is pretty lowly, lying down among the sheepfolds, well, that wasn't a particularly safe kind of location. It wasn't one that spoke of great uh, position in the world. But nevertheless, there's a glory upon them, wings of a dove covered with silver, the feathers with yellow gold, and all those kings fleeing where they're like the snow on salmon, just scattered. There's no substance to them at all. And so we are here described as very needy, very needy, like the church in Philadelphia and Revelation 3 that had little strength, very needy, and yet watched over. And if we can't say that we're trembling with fear of Og of Bashan or Sion, king of the Amorites, if it's not perhaps a a literal Egypt or Ethiopia that we have our eye upon is potentially a place of danger, damage to us. There are plenty of other phenomena and people with ideas that are those kinds of people. We, we dwell in a wilderness. We are a pilgrimage people and we are marching through the wilderness with our God. And it can be wearying. It can be very tiring. And we can languish as we see there in verse 9. We languish because we see such indifference and people just not listening, just not interested, just not seeing that there is eternity. That this great God of, of whom we speak, who may Sinai shake and move and who will one day scatter his enemies is hardly really to be thought of, hardly thought to be serious 
not a serious candidate for people's attention. And we find that there are difficulties. Those difficulties, and we often think about it, don't we, have heightened over the years, the passage of time, that no longer we kind of tolerated as a kind of eccentric kind of people there, maybe a bit simple-minded, a bit gullible, and you know, emotionally a bit sad and needing these kinds of stories to keep ourselves going. But now it's, it's changed and we are regarded as dangerous people, that our ideas are, are, are dangerous, dangerous to society, dangerous to children, dangerous to anybody who comes into contact with us. And so there are those who would try to stop us speaking, try to stop us helping people. Hence all the worry that we have about the, the gay conversion therapy ban, so-called, comes there in the Queen's speech, and we still keep our eye upon it and the danger that it presents. But can we not call people to consider the lifestyles they've chosen, to consider their hearts and their affections, and to ask themselves, is this really what God wants for them? Is this God's best for them? Is this really what they are to stay happy with, content with? Or is there not repentance? Is there not a change that God can bring about? Well, such counsel, even such prayers, might uh, fall foul of the law in the future because there are those who hate the message of repentance and who actually want to stay with their own sinful hearts. I want to lay, be able to exercise freely the desires of their sinful hearts and to continue in those things and encourage everybody else to continue in those things and to silence anybody who would check those things. And you would ask questions and challenge those things. And so we find hostility there. The online safety bill, again, which might lead to a lot of good and protect young people from the horrors that are out there on the internet, but which might also be weaponized against the church. So we would be considered, preaching would be considered to be damaging your, your online safety, bringing aggression and bringing people to feel unsafe and harmed. And so as the definition of what safe is and what to be harmed is ever widens, that any feeling that you may have of mild discomfiture or distress is called harm and your safety compromised. So we look at that and we see a hostility in it and we find that that presses down upon us there. And yet for all of that, who are we? Well, who are any of the other Churches there that we might mention. There at the fraternal that I was at on Friday in London, good always to meet together with the brethren. But it's not as if among ourselves there we pastors of churches of thousands or any such thing. For the most part, small churches, some of them smaller than here at Christ Baptist Church. And yes, we are still there. Still there, longings, our prayers that we were able to pray together hearing a very helpful message that was given to us that stirs our hearts and causes us to pray all the more. Pray for each other. Pray the Lord will sustain, that he will confirm his inheritance when it is weary. When we are going through the wilderness, we might believe that God will drop rain from the heavens and send a plentiful rain of that upon us. Well, we could almost say, and I don't want to labor this point. I often prayed, in fact, so that uh, our God is the God of salvation and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Escapes from death. He is the expert 
at bringing churches through difficult times and out into something else. He is the expert at defying expectations. Well, we have friends among us, don't we, there, the medical profession told them they've got no, no time at all. They'll be gone. And they're still with us. Well, we know that we live forever. None of us will. But we can see that to him belong escapes from death, that he can overturn expectations. He can prolong and extend life. He can help churches that like our own, they're facing quite considerable challenges, even threats to our existence, and yet we live. And uh, here we are to this day. And by the grace of God, we trust still to be here in many, many years to come. Why? Till the Lord returns. So that is his specialism, that where it looks as if no hope, then he declares, hope, live. Where it seems that there's no way through and the enemies are too strong, he says, no, let those enemies, let their expectations perish. And it is a lively debate happening out there, and it's not being conducted primarily by Christians, but a lively debate out there. What is a man? What is a woman? And uh, we have help coming to us, some quite uh, heavy hitters like J.K. Rowling and others who, who are perhaps saying what is plain obvious, but needs to be said in this day, and quickly for the benefit of young people who are being confused and their lives overturned and in a bad way by what they're being told. So the debate continues there. We have some help. God can raise up people. He can raise up Cyrus, can't he, if he will, and have him issue a decree for our benefit. So who are we? A needy people, small in a big world. But, and I'm already anticipating my second heading tonight, God's protection. God's protection. And there is upon us a, a sovereign protection, sovereign protector we have. We'll sing that to finish. But that's part of who he is, isn't it? Part of his whole nature, the way that he works, that weak things and foolish things and despised things. Well, that may be what the world dictates, and that's its assessment. But that's not his assessment. And he, again, overturns expectations comes to the defense of the defenseless, comes to the, the fatherless and the widows and the solitary, and the prisoners in that way, and comes to bring help to them. I mentioned his title there, the, the strength of Israel, the one who is the strength of Israel. And he is, because he cares. He cares. He cares for his people. He cares for the church and the churches. He cares for this church. He cares for any true evangelical church you could name he cares cares about the people cares about their ministers church officers church members those who attend those who help he he cares his eye is upon them and he preserves them in the midst of the enemies with a thousand dangers most of which we probably didn't even know about but he was at work to defend us from their desires because he cares and the care is worth having because it is the care of him. God is in his holy habitation. In verse 5, we read there about Zion and the mountain where God dwells in verse 16. Not the very impressive looking mountains of Bashan, mountains of many peaks. Well, those are mountains indeed. Not in God's eyes. He will choose his own mountain, Zion. He's dwelling there. That's his holy habitation. And as we 
look around us and see the enemies. We then look up and we know that God is in his holy habitation. He's dwelling there and on behalf of his people. He goes ahead of us and that's what we see in verse 7. You went out before your people. There's your pillar of cloud and your pillar of fire. He knows where he's going. And even if some of it is disciplinary, even if some of it is corrective for what he's doing when he takes us on march, on expedition. But look, the earth shakes, the heavens drop rain at his presence. Sinai, great solid mountain. Well, it was moved at the presence of God. And he is there and pledges himself to be our protector. We see him riding on the clouds, that he comes from heaven bringing aid. He comes speedily and quickly. His name, that covenant name, Yah, and we are able to rejoice before him. A leader, the God of our salvation, and that, of course, is repeated twice right at the end of the the half of the psalm we're looking at this evening. The God of our salvation. Our God is the God of salvation. It's his title that he saves. Saves to the uttermost, saves us from our sins, saves us from our enemies, saves us from ourselves, saves us for better things, for holy living, for progress, for being able to march when we're feeling tired and weary, yet we keep going. And one day we find ourselves, don't we, in glory itself. God's actions are deployed for the sake of his people. That's this rain that drops, as we see there in verse 8 and verse 9, this plentiful rain that confirms his inheritance. Well, we might be looking at the ground at the minute, thinking it a bit dry, and I think there's some rain heading our way, isn't there? Even a thunderstorm or two, but it's not that primarily that he's thinking about. He has a way of refreshing his weary and needy people. There we are. We are those who are weary Way down, the worries, the concerns, the cares of this world. Health bearing down upon us, doesn't, doesn't it just there? Getting older, well, that has a, a big say in who we are, what we can do, what we can't do. All of these things can make us tired, can make us feel burdened and weary. But then comes help. Plentiful rain comes. Literally, the rain we're falling on the church roof, though it can do that now, and we're fairly confident our roof will hold up against it. But there's, there are words that he brings, cheerful words, words of scripture, words that in those moments that can happen, that preachers might say. There are words and hymns, as sometimes that light surprises, which we sung earlier. Something there, something that's always been there. We've known it, but we missed it somehow. And something of the sweetness of a promise breaks fresh upon the soul. Something of the glory of God, a name, a title that is his. What he does, what he's done in the past, what we've seen him do in the present or the fairly recent past. And that confirms us. It just strengthens us. It shows us this is the way. Walk in it. This, this is the path. You're on the right path. Carry on in it. And that's a helpful word just confirms that, like you're on the road. And things wonder, is this the right way? Am I on the right road here? And then there's a helpful road sign, confirms to you, yes, this is the way. You're, you're going in the right direction. And uh, having felt a bit uncertain and a little bit, well, maybe I needed to turn right off there or took the wrong exit at the roundabout. No, it was the right, we're on the right road. Thought we were, but just needed that confirmation 
that help and he can give it. Sometimes, isn't it? It's just a word and it can seem like almost a random word at times, but say in Proverbs 25, verse 25, as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Sometimes it is, isn't it, there that we may not in the UK have great reports of conversions, but we hear them from other places. That glands our hearts. That's good news from a far-off country. Just gives us encouragement. I was talking to our dear friend Ryan. I don't want to steal his thunder about his trip to America, but he, he had a fine time there in Texas. How was the church there where he was? Oh, there were converted people from all kinds of backgrounds and walks of life. The real deal, the real thing. And, well, that's good to hear. And that is good news from a far-off country. And that brings something of a refreshment to our soul. God is the God of salvation and he is at work. So we have relief that he brings us and sometimes it's medication, isn't it? Tablets. I talk about tablets these days, mighty fine things they are too. Tablets, blessings, helps, plentiful rain, uh, a good meeting with your doctor, uh, somebody who just gets it, what is with your health condition and really gets in there where others perhaps just didn't see it, missed something, but uh, you were in the right place at the right time. We must mention angels, must mention angels. We don't see them, but they're around us. Friends, they're around us and they, they are sent, aren't they, there to, to minister to those who will inherit salvation, us, God's inheritance. And perhaps at times, unbeknownst to us, we are confirmed by angels. They bring help. They guide us when we perhaps don't realize we're being guided. They give us a nudge and we miss some danger maybe. And they give us a hint from somewhere, a thought comes. And we just cannot discount the ministry of angels and all of it. And in that, angels, whatever else is at work, providences, just providences. And how those at times leave us just amazed. The things we thought would happen and that never did. Those things we thought spelt doom for us, but didn't. And here we are still. God's protection, you see. His people are protected. And final heading is this, eternally secure. Eternally secure. Oh, it can look precarious. God's people, their existence can look threatened. The enemies are strong. But there are God's victories. And sometimes they are particular victories that he protects us by having those victories and winning over those who are against us. But does it last forever? Will it continue? Okay, it happened yesterday, maybe, or the day before, last week, last year. But will it continue? Does he offer that kind of help, that kind of preservation always? And you know the answer to that. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. To God, your Lord, belong escapes from death. He keeps a watch over every step that we take. He has there in his deployment, and we could have mentioned this, couldn't we, under the angels, the chariots of God are 20,000. How, how much, how much resource heaven has and can be deployed for our sakes? Not just for day, for today, but forever. Not only now do we have Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, not only now, is he our intercessor? Only now is he the high priest at the right hand of God praying for his people, but, but always. All those providences and all that angelic movement and those hymns and those sermons, whatever else it might be, 
are all in his hand and are part of his great plan, the God of salvation, bringing eternal comfort, eternal security to his people. It is his work to do, and that is the one who there dwells in his holy habitation. He has the power, he has the will, he has the desire, he has the affection to sustain his people, however many dangers they're in, however weary they might feel, to confirm them. And it's true enough, once we are in his care, once we are the recipients of his love, we always are, we always will be, and it will never change, never alter. We might have argued the case with him, and it's there in verse 18, the rebellious. Well, he has a way of dealing with the rebellious, to turn them round. And in the end, they begin to be part of the plan, the solution, rather than the problem. And he receives gifts from them. And as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, speaks there and of this particular psalm in verse 7 of Ephesians 4, but Paul interprets it in a way that just adds, if you will, takes it further than the thought simply there in Psalm 68 and verse 18. Because there we read, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He overcame death, he overcame all opposition, every rebellion, every ensnaring, enslaving thing. He laid hold of that, he took captivity captive. All those rebellious people, well, he received gifts from them, and actually turned them around and made gifts of them to people. You only need to think of the Apostle Paul to realize just how much them. That's why it goes on to say, he himself in Ephesians 4.11 gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And so it is therefore now for the help for the church, for the work of ministry, building people up, defending us from error, waking us up when it's around us and about us, getting us on track, gifts, people. He took hold of the rebellious and their energies and all that they had, all of the zeal of Saul of Tarsus, all his learning, all of his competence, and then made it very useful, turned it round entirely. And then he gave gifts of people back into this needy world. As though it is a sort of exchange system that works as he takes in the resources of people, makes them now fit for purpose, adds value to them, sends them back as, as gifts now to a needy world. And that he does, and that he continues to do, and that helps to confirm his weary inheritance there. People that write helpful books, people that are on message there, and he sends with, with particular help, sometimes at a particular time, a critical situation. And somebody has wisdom, somebody's writing helpfully. And it uh, is a great, great encouragement there. So he doesn't take us out of the world. Internal security doesn't mean we're taken out of the world. That's not his best plan for us, if you like, but I'll bring you straight home, bring you straight to glory, spare you having to, to see the things you do and see the enemies around you that you do. But I will preserve you there. I have this, this sort of resource redistribution that I'm doing, this turning people around and then sending them back with value added. And this will all be part of my plan to encourage you. And it's unassailable and it cannot fail. And there is within it there in this psalm, and it perhaps more in the second half than in the first half, but it's there in the first half too, 
that we sing, that we sing. Let the righteous, in verse 3, be glad. There is God, and we're seeing the victories over his enemies, God willing, next week. But in the light of that, though we be small and surrounded by these enemies, the righteous can afford to be glad, and they can rejoice before God, not just in a little timid way, but exceedingly. Let them rejoice exceedingly while they're in the desert, while their wanderings at times can make them very weary, while they're still waiting for that plentiful rain to come. Singing there, aren't we, about uh, the, uh, the fig tree hasn't blossomed and uh, all may look a little bit, uh, a little bit difficult and a bit grey around us, but we rejoice exceedingly because we have faith and we sing praises to his name in verse 4 and extol him and rejoice before him a proper notion of who he is, the covenant-keeping God, Yah. That's our place. That's what we do, friends, isn't it? When we come, we sing. We sing praises to God. It's not as though our open-air work in Belper is thriving, that we had hundreds there to eat cake with us on the lawn yesterday. We had one person that was not from our own company. And that's why we had plenty of cake to take home with us this morning. See, there are always benefits, aren't there? There, He loads us with benefits indeed. Good cake to enjoy. But no matter what, whether they come, whether they don't come, whether the people of Christ suddenly wake up, when they never wake up, we sing praises and we rejoice exceedingly before God. Our open windows, they can hear it perhaps and they wonder at it. Why? Why do these people do that? They don't seem to be rich or famous. They, they don't seem to have everything happening around them. But people are interested in the new roof, and they do, do wonder at that. And so we sing those praises, believing all this to be true. And whether we're in the desert and whether enemies look strong or not, God will, as we'll see next week more clearly, deal with them. And he will protect and he will preserve us. And that he does. And that pledge is given to us, his son, undertakes for our salvation in its entirety. So we're homeward bound, and we are protected and preserved on that journey. And to us belongs the noble duty of singing the praises of God, declaring them, that we might encourage each other in declaring them, and moreover, demonstrate our faith and confidence in God, that all that we sing, he is, all that we sing, he will do. And so we come then to our closing hymn indeed. And it's number 567 in our hymn books, A Sovereign Protector I Have, 567. 